Hello and you're very welcome to another episode of the IFF TV podcast. Today's guest is a very special guest. He's the first player to ever score in a World Cup Finals for the Republic of Ireland. Kevin Sheedy joined Jever Brown and Gary Spain to speak about the Jack Charlton era from the time Jack took over to the time he finished as part of our ongoing managerial reign series. Check it out. Don't forget to leave a five-star rating like and subscribe if you enjoy here we go hello and welcome to irish football fan tv with myself Gerbrow, and gary spain which you're here today as we continue in our series of looking back on different ireland managers reigns and now it's the turn of jack charlton and looking back at the most successful period in the history of irish football and we're delighted to have one of the stars of that team with us here to say kevin sheedy kevin it's a great honor to have you on the channel my pleasure. Thanks very much for inviting me. Of course, Gary, we touched on it there in the last year of the own hand, and it was a case of hard luck stories and so many near misses. This really was the time when Irish football finally started to get the, the breaks going their way. Yeah, it was. Now, I mean, Kevin Kevin actually came in uh, towards the latter part of Owen's year, and I remember a couple of... Um, well, I mean, he's, he's full debut, and he scored an all-record win against Malta in Daly Mount Park, and uh, a particular favourite game of mine was a 3-0 win over Switzerland when Kevin played exceptionally well and he got the, the third goal as well. So he, he was already a member of the the squad uh, before Jack arrived. But I think it's fair to say his, his best days and the days we'll all remember in a green shirt are, are the days under Jack Charlton. Yeah, some of his best club days as well were in Everton, which I'm sure Paul will be delighted to hear as well. So, Kevin, Jack's day started in 1986. Most of the world's eyes would have been on the Mexico and the World Cup, but we won a mini-tournament over in Iceland, and that kind of really set us up nicely for the Euro 88 qualifying campaign. We got off to a great start with Ian Brady getting that last-minute penalty draw with Belgium and Brussels. Yeah, I mean, I missed the uh, Jack's first few games when he, when he took over the, the Iceland tournament. Uh, I was I was injured uh, with Everton, so um, you know really disappointed because obviously a new manager comes into the fray, and uh, as a player you want to be involved, you want to you know make a really good impression. Uh, but certainly you know when I got fit, uh, Jack Jack got me into the squad, and um, you know it, it took a, a, a little bit of while for everyone to gel in to to get to to know the way Jack wanted us to play. Um, but you know certainly you know as uh, as the games went on, obviously you know players. Uh, got adjusted to how he wanted us to play. Uh, Jack had to make a few really big decisions with top players uh, and disappoint a couple of them. But certainly, um, you know, looking back over Jack's era, uh, he certainly was single-minded, and um, I think that helped galvanise the squad. I think under Owen, you know, he had a, a lot of great players, but couldn't quite get the, you know, the, over the line to to qualify for a major tournament. Yeah, Gary, one of the biggest downfalls from Ireland in terms of not making major tournaments was their away form. That seemed to change in that campaign with that draw in Brussels and even more impressive victory when we bet Scotland 1-0 with Mark Barrington at the winner. Yeah, so they, 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 that was one of the key things about uh, Jack's reign. I mean, we can go back before that and, I mean, I can remember my first away game was a two-all draw in Rotterdam with the Dutch. But it was... Uh, tiny oasis of a good result away from home before Jack arrived and, and suddenly we became a lot tougher to beat both um, both home and away and it, it was the fact that we were able to pick up away points that I think helped us get to Euro 88. Yeah, even at home as well we were quite strong. We didn't drop any points. We might look back at the Scotland game as one we probably should have won. We missed a lot of good chances in that game. But a 2 nil victory in our last game at home against Bulgaria set us up quite nicely where it left us in a situation leaving Scotland to beat Bulgaria and that happened in Sofia. Gary Mackay getting the, the winning goal and even though he mightn't have much Irish blood in him, he still is fondly remembered in his island. Absolutely. I mean, you know, looking back, I mean, we, we did what we could and then it was out of our hands then as to uh, as to qualification. So that the Scotland done us a, a massive favour. But I can just remember, you know, some of the qualifying games uh, teams didn't like coming to, to Lansdowne Road, you know, full house. Uh, the pitch itself wasn't great. There'd always been a lot of rugby games on it. So I think a few few teams came and didn't really fancy Lansdowne Road. Uh, but we knew exactly what to expect. We trained on it. And, um, you know, 
there's nothing like breeding confidence, winning games. And as the, the wins progressed, uh, confidence, you know, shot sky high. And obviously then getting through to, uh, to our first major championships in Germany was, was a fantastic experience. Kevin, you, you were one of the more cultured players in the squad. I mean, the beautiful left foot. So did you feel, I know the pitch maybe gave us an advantage over some of the opponents didn't fancy it, but uh, do you think it damaged your, um, your game? No, because you, you you knew what to expect. As I say, we trained on it, so you know we knew you were going to get bobbles, and and it, it, it improved your your touch, your first touch. Um, so it didn't really um, hinder. Um, you know, a lot of people have asked me because obviously I was a more a different type of player, but uh, Jack uh, really looked took to me and understood the way that I played and allowed me to play my own game, particularly in the the opposition half. So I never had any uh, problems with Jack. He never pulled me to one side and say, do this, don't do that. Um, you know, like my Everton manager, Howard Kendall, uh, his man management skills were, were great. Uh, I never had, said I never had an issue with him and uh, I enjoyed playing for him and he allowed me to, you know, to perform as my ability would allow me to. I think that was a help as well for club-wise because you were part of a very successful Everton team during the 80s and there was quite a lot of Liverpool players who were also the top dogs in England at that time. For Ireland and that kind of success that you were having just bred into the Irish team. Well, I think if you look back at the success that we had, as you mentioned there, uh, the majority of our squad were, were playing for all the top teams uh, in England and uh, playing for playing big games, playing big European games. Um, so we, we, we were gaining experience all the time, both domestically and internationally. And I think as a group, you know, when we came, came together and we looked at our team and looked at the opposition, we fancied our chances against anybody because over the period of time we were able to perform and beat, you know, great teams, individual players. So, um, you know, as I said before, nothing like winning games it gives you confidence. And, you know, we had a, a great squad of players who were all playing at the top level. So we found out in that wet, miserable night in Sofia in November 87 that we were going to Germany the following summer. Gary, for the fans, like, you would have been looking at all these major sports thinking, oh, it must be great to be there. And finally, you are getting the chance to go there. What was the euphoria like and suppose all the trying to get the arrangements or flights, accommodation, tickets? It must have been a lot of panic and nerves, but also full of great excitement as well. Oh, yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, I actually remember uh, I just started work. We just finished college and uh, we sneaked out to watch the second half of Scotland-Bulgaria. It was live in RT. And uh, there was just four of us there. And I mean, the lads just couldn't believe it. I'm booking Germany, I'm going. And uh, we did. I mean, it was, uh, it, there was no um, real internet or anything in those days. So it was a bit more complicated to book stuff. But yeah, it was, it was great, great to qualify and great to be to qualify finally for the first time. Yeah, there's so many great memories. And the main memory from that tournament, Kevin, was beating England 1 0 and Ray Houghton scored. But looking back in the group in general, we drew the next game against the USSR 1 1. When Ronnie Whelan scored the game, we probably should have been out of sight before they equalised. And then the Holland game, we were eight minutes away from the semi-finals until they scored one of the most fluffiest goals the world football has ever seen. Indeed, I mean, you know, to, to get off to an absolute flying start against England, um, you know, again, massive game. Uh, all the pressure was on England. And obviously, Ray scored really early in the, in the game. So it was a long, a long way to go. But I remember on the day, uh, we rode our luck a little bit. Sometimes you make your own luck. We defended when we needed to. Packy made some great saves um, off Gary Lineker for one, because I played with him at Everton and he just needed half a chance. I think he had three or four chances on the day that uh, Packy, you know, made good saves off. So I think, you know, that was, I think probably in the end, we probably just edged it. So that was a great start. Uh, the, the second game against Russia, I mean, that was the whole of Russia in those days. It wasn't as, um, you know, different uh, sort of countries now. It was the, and they were a top team, but... Uh, looking back, we should have beaten them. I think that was probably my my best game in an Irish shirt. Uh, um, played in the middle of midfield. Paul Paul McGrath was injured, and um, we had a couple of chances which we should have done better with. Uh, but in but in the end, you know, we, got, we came out of it with a draw. And then going into the Holland game again, a draw would have been enough for us. And as you say, it was a bizarre goal, eight minutes from time. And uh, you know, we, we we were that close to getting through to the semi final, which would have been against Russia again. Who who we should have beaten. So, you know, we, we look back on that and thinking, if you know, if only. Uh, but I think that gave us 
uh, immense confidence, as I keep mentioning, to, to go into the qualifying games for the uh, the World Cup. Kevin, can I just ask, you played, um, you, you go back to that night in Hanover, and I, I agree, it's it's, it's arguably a, one of the greatest ever Irish performances. And you mentioned playing, you know, I know Paul McGrath, who I believe is our greatest ever player, was actually missing. But you played in central midfield uh, as opposed to out on the left, and I agree you were absolutely superb, and the whole team was superb that night. Do you ever feel you maybe could have played there a bit more in an Irish short or... Um, well, I, obviously, I, I, would, I would have preferred to play uh, in the middle. I was always having a bit of a debate with Howard Kendall because, um, you know, I preferred to play in the middle. Uh, funnily enough, my best season for Everton was in 1987 when we won the league. Uh, Peter Reid, Paul Bracewell, who were the, the main two central midfield players, were, were injured at various times. Um, I scored 17 goals from midfield, but uh, that was my definitely my best season for Everton. So the same with Ireland. You know, obviously, we had a lot of great players vying for those positions. Um, and I was I was used on the left, so um, you know you just that, that was what it was. But, but personally, I would have preferred to have played in the middle. What was it like training and kind of recovery from matches in your age? Was unlike major tournaments now, where you could go five or six days between games, you were playing every two or three days, so it must have been really really tough. And obviously, you would have liked to enjoy particularly the England victory as well. Well, you, you, it's, it's a major tournament, as you say, the, the recovery days aren't on what they're like now. So basically, once you've you finished the game, you have a, uh, you enjoy the moment, which you've got to do in big, big wins and big games like that. But certainly, uh, you, your mind focuses then to the next game. You know, we already knew uh, we were playing Russia. We already knew that was going to be a massive test. So you just really rest in uh, doing very little in training. Jack was always, he always knew, you know, when enough was enough, you know, he'd cut the, the training sessions, you know, he'd, he'd get out of it what he wanted. But then once he'd seen enough, that was it. Everybody back on the bus, back to the hotel, back to your beds and, and get your feet up and rest. So, um, you know, we were certainly in, you know, you couldn't look back and say that we uh, weren't in the best possible shape. You know, we were, and to be able to compete three games in short space of time against top quality opposition, um, you know, was was really um, important. Yeah, it's certainly really guys momentum in this country going forward after that tournament into the 1990 World Cup qualifying campaign. But strangely enough, we were actually fourth seeds for it, but we finished second behind Spain, just ahead of Hungary. Our home form was so crucial. We won all four home games without conceding the ball, and that defensive uh, strongness was really, really crucial to getting us to Italy, Gary. Yeah, yeah so again, that that was the the four home wins without conceding a goal and uh, picked up a couple of crucial points in Belfast and Budapest. And, uh, well, we did. We only needed a point in Malta at the end, but we got the win there, which I think was a bit of a formality. But it was definitely the home form. The wins over Spain and Hungary in particular and Dublin were, were absolutely crucial. And, uh, yeah, we were, as you mentioned, Joe, we were four seeds, but it's probably because three of our opponents... Um, had been playing regularly in World Cups. I mean, Hungary had qualified, I think, for the last two or three at that point. Northern Ireland had been to the last two World Cups, and, and Spain, or, or well, they were hosts, but they were always qualifying anyway. So we'd never qualified for a World Cup. So four seeds was probably fair enough, even though um, we certainly made a mockery of that and, and qualified quite comfortably. Yeah, qualified comfortably, uh, Kevin, but it still has to go to the final day, like both Irish campaigns, the way to Malta. Was there any kind of real nerves or jitters in that game? Because we did seem quite comfortable in the first half. John got the goal from the corner. But the start of the second half, like Malta did have a little bit of a powerful punch. So it was a little bit of kind of nerves just kicking in at that stage that just uh, with the importance of what was at stake. Well, I think, you know, in international football, you can never take anybody, you know, lightly. I mean, there's been major um, upsets over the years in any sort of football, FA Cups. World Cups, European Championship. So we, we, we were totally confident we could beat Malta. Uh, but sometimes it might not be your day, but you've got to make it your day. And I think once uh, Aldo scored, uh, that took a lot of pressure off us. Uh, you still needed that second goal. We all knew that. If you got the second goal, that would kill them off. There was no, they, no way they were coming back. So in that period before, um, bef before we got the second goal, there probably was a little bit of nerves. But once the second goal went in, uh, then that was it. We knew we'd, we'd qualified. So it was. Uh, we had a great night afterwards. I always remember it was a fantastic. You know, yeah, as a young player growing up, you know, you look at all the the World Cups, uh, nineteen seventy Brazil and all that. So I grew up watching that. You never know where your career is going to take you. So to actually um, 
being a, a team, being a squad that's qualified for, for Ireland's first World Cup was, was fantastic. And I think the main thing that you, you look at then from between then and the end of the season, you don't want to get injured and you don't want to miss out sort of thing. So you certainly make sure you look after yourself because you only generally get one opportunity to play in a World Cup. So, um, yeah, it was a, a fantastic memories. Gary, you must talk, uh, lads, who's doing these draws when we've seen the draw for the World Cup and we're in the same group as England and Holland again? I think, um, again, the pressure was on England again, straight away, because um, we'd beaten them, so we knew we could beat them. Um, it was like a local derby. Everybody knew each other. I mean, I, I played with Gary Stevens, uh, Trevor Steven, uh, Gary Lineker, so I knew them inside out. They knew me inside out. And on all, right the way through the teams, everybody, Brian Robson, uh, Kevin Moran, Paul McGrath, they all played with each other, against each other. So it was a real um, tight, tight game. So they know the pressure... I uh, was getting to Jack, the build-up to the World Cup, because obviously he'd been a, a World Cup winner and he was desperate for, for Ireland to beat England. So uh, you could tell he was a little bit niggly at times sort of thing. Uh, but certainly, you know, once the the, the occasion came and, you, and he'd landed in, in, in Rome for the World Cup, then it was a um, fantastic um, voyage that we had. Gary, I'd say the fans were a little bit more used to how to plan these trips now after Germany two years previous and ahead of this World Cup. Yeah, I mean, as a fan, we were obviously delighted to qualify. Um, the draw was a bit of a nightmare, not just because it was England and the Dutch who were um, obviously quality sides. I mean, European cha the Dutch were European champions and one of the favourites to win the tournament. Uh, England again. and But also the logistics of trying to get to Sardinia and get to Sicily again back in the pre-internet days. Um, Again, it was it was a bit of a challenge in trying to book. In my case, it was booking campsites, just uh, pitched a tent. But still, the, some of the logistics in those days were a bit more difficult. Um, but looking back, it was absolutely amazing and, and, and fantastic to be there. And uh, it started off so well in Calgary. And I mean, Kevin, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that crucial, the first goal we've ever scored in a World Cup. And you're the man that scored it. I'd, I'd love to hear your um, your thoughts on it. Um, well, looking back after my career's finished, obviously you, you're looking at your highlights of your career, and certainly that's the you know the highlight, one of the biggest highlights of my career. Uh, the game itself, as I said, it was like a local derby. The the weather it was uh, windy, it was wet, rainy, typical uh, British weather. And um, Lineker scored early after about seven or eight minutes. Um, so we, we were an experienced team. Uh, we didn't panic. We knew we had plenty of time. Um, you know, obviously England were going to get the second goal to try and kill us off, but we we defended really well. I always remember that we kept our shape. We didn't um, open up too much because we always felt that we you know we had players in the team that could score goals. So when the the moment arrived, the, a, a kick from Packy, um, big cast challenge as he usually did. Uh, the ball broke to me, and I was trying to slide uh, Alan McLaughlin in with a first time pass, uh, which got it intercepted by Steve McMahon. And Steve had just come on as a sub, and I don't think he was up to speed with the game. And as he intercepted my pass, he went to play a square ball to Gary Stevens, which I, I I read straight away. And I managed to intercept it, and my first touch was was that good. It set me up for a shot to hit it early, because uh, I always in my career I always felt that if you if you had a touch and shoot, the keeper wasn't quite ready, he couldn't get set. But if you took an extra touch, then that gave him an opportunity. And Shilton was a a world class keeper. But as soon as I hit it, uh, it was as sweet as a nut. You know, you just know when it hits a sweet spot on your foot. And I knew it was arrowing for Chilton's bottom left-hand corner. Um, he got nowhere near it. And uh, it was a great relief to see it uh, bury in the, the bottom corner of the net. So um, my memories of it, I didn't have time to really celebrate. Steve Staunton was straight on top of me and then uh, I think a few of the other lads. So it was a uh, you know, great relief that because um, in a World Cup or any major tournament, if you lose the first game, you're always going to be playing catch-up sort of thing. And it was such a tough group that maybe if we'd have got beat, then we, we wouldn't have got to, to the stage that we did. So it was just a, it was a team effort, team goal. Uh, we more than deserved the, the draw on the evening. Uh, I think probably that was a fair result. So um, just looking back after the game, uh, you do your interviews uh, um, and it's a special moment, a magic moment, you know, for my, for my parents, for my family, that supported me as a young young player, uh, you know, going through my career. Uh, but then once you're on the bus and you're on the way back to the, the airport, 
your thoughts are then straight away on onto the next game, which was um, which was Egypt. Uh, so you then again, I'm not quite sure how many days was it was in between, but again, your thoughts are just prepar- preparing, resting, and getting ready for the for the next massive game. You know, I challenged Ray Howden and said he's not the only man in football in the English net. On to them two games against Egypt and the Netherlands. Disappointing draw against Egypt would have been seen as a group of minnows. But I suppose we salvaged that and kind of put that ghost behind us. We got a one, good 1-1 one, one draw against the Netherlands when our win scored with just about 15 minutes to go. And that was enough for us to come out of the group along with England and the Dutch. Yeah, it was, um, it was a diff- disappointing performance um, against Egypt. I mean, everyone expected us to, to beat them. Uh, but as they say, one of the terms in football, they parked the bus. They had a, a back five on the edge of their 18-yard box. They had four in midfield and uh, just one striker. And they were just happy just to sit um, and just defend. I don't, I don't, can't recall them having a, a shot or an effort on goal. Uh, we had a few half chances. I remember I had a, had a volley that the keeper made a, a decent save. But really on the day, we didn't, um, we weren't able to, to, to create enough clear-cut chances. So um, really disappointing result. I think a lot of the, the press after the game uh, had written this off because obviously we had uh, Holland in the next game and we needed to get at least a point. Similar situation to the the Euro. The Euro. So we'd, we'd been in that position before. Um, it was a tense, tense affair against Holland. Uh, they obviously scored, and then uh, I think it was a bit of deja vu where it was a, a long ball, and their keeper spilled it, and Quinny was onto it like a shot uh, to toe poke it in, and I think that was similar to what uh, Holland's goal was like against us in uh, in the Euro. So um, again, it was 20, I think it's 15 so so minutes to go, but and a draw would have, was good enough for both teams. So I think both teams just really uh, kept the ball, didn't push any people forward. And everyone was uh, relieved to hear the referee's final whistle. I know, Gary, you were saying to us when we'd done the watch long for this game a couple of weeks ago that you were staying out for the rest of the tournament anyway. But it still must have been really, really nice to know that you still want to see the boys in green in action after the group stages. Yeah, it was absolutely fantastic, Jeff, because it, it obviously the tournament, if we do go out, it, it dies a little bit and the interest dies. So, yeah, and it, it kind of... It ensured whatever happened after that game, the tournament was going to be a success. So it, it was a crucial goal, and I, I think we deserved it. I mean, yeah, okay, the Egypt game was was a disappointment. I, I think maybe the fact it was played in the early afternoon heat as well didn't help. And as Kevin said, they absolutely parked the bus. But um, great one-all draw with the Dutch. I mean, a hugely, hugely talented Dutch team. I mean, Kevin actually made his debut against them in Dalymount Park when they were pretty much unknown, but they were certainly, they were all household names, Hullet van Basten, Rijkaard. That night, uh, that night in Palermo, the whole world knew about the Dutch and a lot of people, uh, including myself, fancied them to possibly win the tournament or at least go very close. I was just saying, I remember that clearly, that uh, Dalymount with the Hullet, Rijkaard and Van Basten make it, you know, as young players coming through. I was a young player coming through, so you don't know what's, you know, what, where your international career is taking you. And obviously it took took uh, in opposition against them in the World Cup. So, um, again, it was, uh, I remember the, you know, celebrations after the game, nothing too stupid. You know, you, you, you got to the next stage. Uh, we knew we were playing Romania. Uh, they had a fantastic left footer, uh, Haji, in their team, and they were they were a good, experienced team. So, uh, but you know, we, we fancied our chances. Um, you know, so we we prepared, and then um, obviously the the game took place. Yeah, you mentioned that Romania game. It went to a penalty shootout in the end. Everyone always remembers that Steve Lillieri scored the decisive penalty. But you were the one that got the ball rolling by scoring the first penalty in the shootout, Ken. Yeah, I mean, we didn't really uh, we didn't have a the, 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 the players, we hadn't sort of sorted out who was going to take the penalties at the end of the game because you don't know who's going to be on the pitch uh, after extra time. Obviously, a few players being substituted. Uh, but as soon as the final whistle went, I, I just said, I'll take the first penalty um, because I was I was a natural penalty taker. I'd taken penalties for Everton. I'd taken penalties from Ireland. And um, I was confident that I could score. So I didn't really want to save my penalty till near the end in case the other players missed. And... I wouldn't have the opportunity to take one, so I said I'll take the first one. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and he was struggling to get a few people in. Uh, Ray Houghton said he'd take one. Andy Townsend said he'd take one. And after that, there was stone silence. 
so we all like said, Cass, come on, you take one. Uh, so reluctantly, Cass agreed to take one. And then they were looking for the fifth one, and no one, no one put their hand up. No one said anything. And to be fair to Dave O'Leary, he said, "Well, if no one else wants one, I'll take it." So that's how uh, how the five players got picked. Uh, I remember Hadji scored their first penalty, um, and then it was a long walk, you know, from the halfway line to to actually to the the penalty box. You know, you've got I don't know how many thousand Irish supporters behind the goal. Uh, it's a full house there, so you. Um, I, I'm quite strong mentally, and I, as soon as the whistle went, and I said I'm taking the penalty. I just got myself in the zone where I, I worked out exactly what I was going to do. I was going to hit as hard as I could down the middle, but as high as I could, so that if the goalkeeper sort of did step stand there, he still couldn't save it. So I held my nerve. Uh, I hit it as sweet as I could, and um, you know, fortunately, he went in. Um, the penalties after that, I remember Andy Townsend scored, Ray Howden scored, and then it came to Cass, and I could tell by Cass's walk from the halfway line to the penalty spot, he didn't fancy it. Uh, it was our day, He's, he took one of the worst penalties I think I'd seen, he took the biggest divot uh, out of the pitch, but the goalkeeper dived the wrong way, fortunately, and the ball just, the ball just trickled in the other corner. Um, and then Packy was nearly saving the penalties, their keeper wasn't really getting cl- close to ours. And you just felt it was only a matter of time before Packy would save one. And sure enough, it was Tomofsky took it and uh, Packy guessed the right way, made a great save. And then it was set up for, for Dave O'Leary. And I remember going to Dave and said, uh, just trying to give him a bit of advice because obviously Dave has, hadn't taken penalties before. I said, Dave, just pick your spot, hit it as sweet as you can and don't change your mind. And uh, the rest is history, as they say, and it was a, a great penalty from Dave and uh, fantastic scenes afterwards and, uh, you know, great celebrations. Gary, you all know watching penalties on TV is horrifying as it is, I know, from Spain in 2002. I'd say it's a lot worse when you're actually live in the stadium when it's happening. Yeah, it, it was, it, it's pretty nerve-wracking, even as a fan. I mean, I know it was 10 times worse for Kevin to actually and to have the, the guts to come up and take particularly the first one. But, um, yeah, it was nerve-wracking watching it. And, I mean, yeah, as Kevin mentioned, John Aldridge actually had gone off the pitch, so he would have been nailed on to take one. Uh, but he'd gone off injured. But, yeah, Andy Townsend, Ray Houghton, Kevin taking the penalty. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised with Cass when he was striker, so it's okay. David O'Leary, I don't know how David O'Leary was the last man in the pitch I expected to take a penalty. And just looking on... It's fantastic when he saved it, and then Dave having to, to step up to take it. Now he took a fantastic penalty, and he his nerve was incredible, and he was a, a lovely, fantastic, cultured defender, but not a, never a penalty taker in a million years in my eyes. But he certainly took a fantastic one. Maybe he should have taken a lot more. Yeah, I think the journalist Peter Byrne described it perfectly. He said it was a win-win situation for Dave Leary. If he scores, he's the hero. And if he missed, I'm sure he's a defender. Who's going to blame him? But thankfully, he did put the ball in the back of the net. And we're on to Rome. Then the following Saturday, he take on the whole city. Ended up in disappointment, a 1 0 defeat. But it only brought down the curtain of what was a memorable, memorable experience, Kevin. Yeah, I think if, you know, before the tournament, if we said, well, you know, you're going to get to the quarter final, you're going to play Rome in Italy. Um, I think we'd have, you know, accepted that and, you know, taken the challenge. Uh, I remember on the night, a fantastic atmosphere, 80,000 people there. Uh, it was electric, the, the atmosphere. Um, very close game. Uh, I remember the referee thinking he gave them every 50-50 decision. He must have a, a really nice villa or apartment in uh, somewhere in Italy. Um, but he, um, you know, we... We have to impact. We we didn't create too many real scoring opportunities. Remember Quinny having a header, um, but they had a, they had a great team. And on um, on on the, in the tournament, uh, Toto Scalacci was on fire. I remember the Donadoni running with the ball. He cut inside. He hit a shot. Uh, Packy's parried it, and it, it fell to the last person you you wanted to win it. And it was Scalacci, and as he did, just showed a little bit of composure and just uh, passed it into the net. Um, and as I say, we, we we were still in the game right up until the final whistle. Um, they had some some really tough defenders. Um, I was up against Bogomi, and people said to me, "Who's the toughest defend, um, op, you know, defensive opposition you've played against?" And I would say him. It's the first time I'd really been man marked in my career. Uh, he just came as tight, no matter where I went. He just stayed with me, so he made it a very difficult night for me. 
They had Berezi centre back, one of the world's best centre backs. Uh, you know, right the way through the team, they were they were renowned for their uh, defensive um, abilities. So uh, you look back, and you know, we we run them really close. Jack said, you you know, you never know how come close you've come to you know, nearly winning the World Cup because Italy got through and they played against uh, an aging. Argentinian team admittedly they had Maradona but he was coming towards the end of his, his powers um, so you look back you know great achievement really enjoyed I mean brilliant uh, tournament to be involved in and maybe if we could just squeeze a little bit more out of us we may have been able to, to get a bit further yeah it still remains our best ever performance at the World Cup that wonderful experience 30 summer goals now move on then to the Euro 92 qualifying campaign you finished second in this group at eight points, just finishing a point behind England. I suppose the two of you can't be better placed top at this than me, because it's still pre-my time. But really, Gary, it's probably the two Poland games like we battered them down at Lansdowne, just couldn't put the ball in the back of there. And then the away fixture we were three one up in twenty five minutes ago. And we ended up conceding two goals. And when you look back on that, we probably should have prevented from a defensive point of view. Yeah, I think we we definitely should have beaten Poland twice. As you say, we battered them in Lansdowne. I don't know how it stayed nil-nil. Three one up in Poznan, 15 minutes to go, and it looked all over, and we unfortunately gifted them two goals. I, I'll also go back to the game in Wembley, the one-all draw. Um, and I know Niall Quinn equalised, but Ray Houghton, he scored some incredible goals for us, but he missed a couple of fantastic chances that night. We really should have beaten England that night at Wembley. Definitely that Euro 92 campaign is one that got away. I'm sure Kevin would agree. Definitely. Um, I think, you know, we rode our luck in the, the 88 to get to get through, thanks to Scotland. Uh, but it was a different different one, uh, the 92, where, as you say, there were results that got away, that really we had games in the bag and we, we let it slip. We had to go to Turkey and I think we beat them 5-0. I'm just hoping that uh, England will get a draw. That would be enough to see us through. And Lineker scored about six minutes from time. Uh, so w that was one, as you definitely said, that's one that got away. Uh, we let It was in our own hands. We should have beat England at Wembley. Uh, we had the games against Poland in the bag and couldn't finish them off. Uh, so that was, yeah, we certainly let ourselves down uh, in that respect because... Um, you know, we were right at the, the height of all our abilities in that 92 and uh, who knows where we, you know, where would have taken us. So, yeah, one of the big regrets of my career is, is certainly we missed, we messed up missing, missing out qualifying for that one. Yeah, despite missing out and going to Sweden in the summer nights too, we were still in a strong place going into the qualifying campaign, the World Cup in 1994, but then events that summer kind of hit that group a little bit more trickier because Denmark, the third seeds in that group, and on to win the Euros, and suddenly now we found ourselves in a group of debt with Denmark and Spain. And we started that campaign really, really strongly. You featured in a couple of the opening games, Kevin, against Latvia and Albania, and you got the score sheet as well, I think, by correctly saying, against Latvia. Yeah, um, it was sort of, I was coming towards the end of my career. I'd, I'd moved from uh, Everton, uh, 10 fantastic years there, went to Newcastle. Uh, under Kevin Keegan and um, you know it was a, a good start for me in the, uh, the the qualifying games as you say scoring um, and it's sort of as the the qualifications went on I was sort of more and more not uh, just getting in the squad not playing so um, you know it's, it's difficult to remember those times with the same sort of fondness as the, the, the 88 and the, the 90 World Cup Yeah, Gary, in general, that campaign seemed to be going quite smoothly. We've done the hard part. We drew away in Copenhagen. We drew away in Seville against Spain. We come to bet Northern Ireland at home. Game of all, remember, proceeds down from scoring straight from a corner. And then it just kind of seemed to kind of come underneath us towards the end. We had the chance to qualify at home against Spain. They ripped us to straight, beating us 3-1 at Lansdowne. And then that set up for a nerve-wrenching game of Windsor Park against Northern Ireland to qualify. Yeah, so it was, uh, we started off the campaign, as Kevin and yourself mentioned, we, we started off more or less perfectly. Now, it was, we were up against two incredible, we were against the European champions in Denmark and Spain. So we were up against two incredibly talented sides. So, yeah, we were more or less perfect. I mean, it was a fantastic draw in Copenhagen. We drew in Seville, probably should have won. I mean, John Aldridge has scored a goal. He was at least two yards onside and was chalked off for offside. But still went and did the hard part in going to Albania, a bit of a nervy win in Tirana, 
beat Latvia and Lithuania at home, where actually Spain and Denmark had dropped points in the Baltics. So, and that stood to us in the end. Everything going perfectly. Uh, home to Spain. And it may seem crazy now, but I think everybody expected to beat them. And we were expected to qualify that day. Party atmosphere on Lansdowne Road. And look, we were up against Spain. They're one of the top sides. They're always one of the top sides in the world. And yeah, we got a, a rude awakening. And uh, Julio Salinas was the star in, in my book that day. And we were just torn to bits and beaten 3-1. A crucial late goal from John Sheridan, which didn't seem that important at the time. But ultimately, that goal set us up for that night in Windsor Park when we, we got to qualify. Yeah, one of the most memorable nights that night in Windsor Park. Of course, the game as well between Spain and Denmark had such significance as well because when we were losing after Jimmy Crane put Northern Ireland one in front, we were then going out. But thanks to Adam McLaughlin, he made sure we were going stateside for summer in '94. Yeah, so yeah. it was it was a game at the start. We felt we had to win um, to, to be sure of qualifying. We needed to win. Um, uh, and likewise, if 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 there was a winner in Seville, and it was probably more likely to be Spain at that stage, then a draw may have done. And the Alan McLaughlin goal that uh, that got us there in the end after a very very tense and nervy night, and by year listening for the score from Seville and just praying Denmark wouldn't equalise. Yourself, Kevin, obviously you finished up playing for Ireland by the end of the campaign. So what was it like coming towards the crucial games towards the end against Spain and Northern Ireland for yourself from being so used to being involved in them and now kind of being away and in a similar situation to Gary and basically just becoming a fan and just praying and hoping for the best? Yeah, I mean, I'll just go back to the, the Northern Ireland game. I was uh, I was playing for Blackpool at the time and I hadn't played uh, like three internationals before that. As I say, I was coming towards the end of my career and... Uh, Jack got quite a few injuries leading up to the Northern Ireland game, and I, I, he rang me and just said, "You know, would you? I know you've not been in the previous squads, but um, if you're fit and able, you know, I want to bring you back in the squad." So I was all geared up to uh, to, to to go out, you know, in the squad. Didn't know whether I'd be playing or not. And the game before the the Northern Ireland game, I was playing for Blackpool, and I, I pulled a calf muscle. And um, I knew from over the years, different injuries, that that was uh, going to keep me out of the game. So unfortunately, I had to ring Jack up and just say, I'm absolutely gutted, you know, I've got, I'm injured. Um, so I was devastated, really. And uh, But, you know, for the for the players, for the team, for the country. Uh, and I was well, delighted that it was Alan McLaughlin that, uh, that scored the goal because he he's a great lad. He was in the squad, you know, he, 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 if, he, if he wasn't selected in the team, he, he just got on with it. Uh, so, you know, it was really nice that he was the, the one that scored the goal that, that uh, made, helped us qualify. This was also the campaign, Gary, where Jack's really kind of started to lift up the squad while there was still a lot of his favourites there from AGH and Italia 90. Like Dennis Irwin, Roy Keane really started to step up the team. Terry Freedom was a regular on that qualifying campaign. Eddie McGoldrick and John Sheridan. Yeah, so there was a bit, as Kevin said, he was coming towards the end of his international career. I think his last cap was in 93. So there was quite a few players, as you mentioned, Jared, coming through in the qualifying campaign. And and then we had a few new, four, a few more new faces uh, for the finals. So it was a bit of a changing in the guard at that stage. And in some ways, uh, we had done so well and being one of the top teams in the world, there was a concern that it was going to be a decline. But in, in the end, I suppose, um, who knows what could have happened in USA in 94. Yeah, on to the World Cup then, I suppose. The opening game against Italy from Ray Houghton once again was the man getting the 1-0 victory over the Italians. But the main memory from that tournament, and it was so nice to get revenge on the Italians what happened four years previous. Yes, it, it was huge. I mean, and, and just to, to follow on on the players, the likes of Jason McAteer, Phil Babb, Gary Kelly also came through in, in the early part of 94. So it was probably a change team very much that took on the Italians that day. And yeah, it, it, was, an, it, is, it was an incredible win. And it, it was, I mean, they were one of the top teams in the world. They eventually ended up losing the final on penalties. So that's how good they were. 
Um, but we beat them. Uh, a fantastic goal from Ray, and I was right behind the goal, and it's still an amazing memory and a great day. There must have been 50,000 Irish fans packed into the joint stadium that day. And uh, like, like so many of our famous days, the atmosphere was absolutely electric. Kevin, you would have known a lot of the players involved in that day in Giant Stadium and would have played with them in the previous campaigns. Did you still feel that there definitely was one that picking up spot off one big upset like that? Yeah, I mean, I, I obviously watched it from afar, but uh, obviously supporting Ireland and you know, and Ray scored that goal and we got the, the, the win. That was a fantastic start. Uh, but going back to the players, obviously, the likes of John Sheridan, Eddie McGoldrick, uh, they've been in the squads you know, in the Euros, in the World Cup 1990. So they, they were gaining experience, even though they were getting a lot of game time. They, they were seeing uh, the big games. And then obviously when 94 came around, that was that was their opportunity. And uh, we couldn't have got off to a better start. I think, um, as you mentioned, the game we played against Italy, uh, sorry, against um, Egypt, it was in the, the real hot uh, time of the day over in Italy. And I remember the, the games that we had in... Uh, in America was right in the hottest part of the days and I did, that didn't didn't help suit suit our style of play or suit you know it was too hot for the players. Yeah Gary when you look back at the rest of the tournament after the game two things kind of spring to mind Orlando Heat against Mexico and then just pure Dutch class in the same venue in the last 16. Yeah so as Kevin mentioned actually the heat in Orlando for the the Mexico game was a huge a huge disadvantage to us. I mean, the game kicked off at noon and it was well over 100 degrees. And even sitting in the stadium was really difficult. I don't know how the players played in that. It was absolutely horrendous. I've never experienced anything like it. Uh, the heat and also the humidity. Florida uh, is very hot, but it's also very humid and very sticky. And it was absolutely insane. The, the, I was think the kickoff time was set for European TV. And it was absolutely insane. And uh, we did well t to lose 2-1 that day. And so, but even still, yeah, we, we, we turned around, went back up to New York and uh, we needed a draw with Norway to go through. Wasn't very pretty, but uh, we definitely deserved to go through. We got the, the scoreless draw and uh, it set up the last 16 with the Dutch back in Orlando. And having said the heat with the Mexico game, on the 4th of July, it wasn't actually as hot. It was actually reasonably pleasant it was must have been about 20 degrees cooler that day there was a bit of a breeze against the dutch and i my memory is we were favorites for the game or at least it was considered a 50 50 game because we had actually beaten them in tilburg a couple of months earlier we we had as you said beaten italy so it was one of those games uh yeah they were a class side and unfortunately it just wasn't our day we never played and uh it, Dennis Bergkamp was probably at the peak of his power at that stage as well. But, um, yeah, they, they beat us, unfortunately. And uh, it may seem crazy when you're talking about it now, but we we really fan fancied our chances of playing Brazil in the quarterfinal, but it was not to be. Let's go back to the kickoff time for that Mexico game, Kevin. Everyone talks about now how TV channels and TV rights have too much to say in kickoff times. It's quite clear and evident even 26 years ago that they did that game had to be played at midday in Orlando to suit the European audience. And at the end of the day, Irish fans, I don't think, would mind getting up early in the morning or sitting late at night to watch that game in more suited conditions for our team. Well, it's a completely unfair advantage uh, to, 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 to play in that type of heat. Um, I, went, I was over in Saudi Arabia coaching uh, not so long ago, and you know they just trained at night and played at night. It was just too hot. Um, I have played in a couple of games. I think we played in Turkey years ago. It was nil nil. I forget the actual temperature, but you it was too. You couldn't play football. It was walking football. Um, and certainly, I remember before the Mexico game. You know, did the, the national anthem. You could see Steve Staunton, who was quite quite uh, light coloured. Uh, we, we had to have a hat on just to wear it just during the anthem because it, it was that hot and it would burn him. Um, and I think that was you know it was done to suit TVs. Um, audiences, but certainly uh, from a professional point of view and as a, a football, uh, that's you know it's an unfair advantage to, to teams that are used to playing that humidity. Yeah, the teams that came home to a great reception in Dublin after they were knocked out from that World Cup, and Jack kept going for one more last goal to try and qualify for Euro '96. I suppose it was a great touch for him considering that tournament was going to be held in England. 
And again, Gary, we hit the ground running in this campaign. We won four home in five games. We battered Northern Ireland up in Windsor Park. We got a great victory at home against Portugal and Lansdowne. And then it all started to go downhill with a trip to Liechtenstein. Yeah, so it, it, it was. We started very well. Um, the the four 0 as you mentioned, where we beat Liechtenstein at home comfortably enough as well. One had won comfortably in Latvia three 0 I think. Um, dropped points against Northern Ireland at home, which was a big disappointment. I think it was Ian Dowie got the equaliser, haven't we? We battered them. We'd gone one 0 up, and uh, then but beat Portugal at home. We were all set. It looked sure to be more than likely two to qualify. It was only the worst two runners up but end up in the playoff. And uh, so I, I'm not too sure. The Liechtenstein game, but for me, was just a freak. I think we had about 40 efforts on goal and something like 20 on target. And somehow, somehow we didn't score. Um, the games that really hurt us, because actually the Liechtenstein game didn't matter in the end in that uh, to qualify as best runners up, the, the bottom results would have been discarded. The two games that absolutely killed us in that campaign were Austria home and away. And I still can't figure out how we what happened for that Austria game. I know there's all sorts of stories, don't really want to go in. I've heard a lot of stories out of Limerick, my hometown. Um, that's where the squad were based that week. But let's just say we were one we, we, we took a long time to break Austria down. They just packed the defense, parked the bus. Ray Houghton got the goal. We were one nil up and it looked great. Now we're going to beat these guys, what, 15, 20 minutes to go. And they scored three times and beat us 3-1. And uh, just walking out of Lansdowne Road, an absolute shock because we were such a better side than them. And and things, I think, started to go downhill after that. We were we were beaten in Vienna. Again, played pretty well, just didn't go for us. Needed Absolutely needed to beat Latvia at home. Made very hard work of that, actually. It was a 2-1 win, having beaten them 3-0 in Riga a year earlier. Um, then it, it was looking pretty bleak, actually. We went to Portugal needing to win in Lisbon. I don't think that was ever going to happen. They were a really coming team at that stage, and they, they actually had a very good Euros as well. Um, they beat us 3-0, uh, but I think the, the time was pretty much up at that stage. Northern Ireland actually beat Austria the same night, and that's that's the only way we ended up in the playoff. And unfortunately, uh, there was still a chance we could have ended up playing Turkey. But the other um, worst runner-up turned out to be the Dutch. And uh, they were still a quality, quality. You don't see too many bad Dutch sides anyway. But uh, Patrick Kluivert was the coming striker at the time. And unfortunately, they were just too good for us at Anfield and uh, beat us 2-0. So... Jack's campaign probably ended in disappointment, but I suppose, as I say, all great political careers end in failure. But all I can remember, I mean, for me, Jack's always been our greatest ever manager. They've been the best days in in supporting the country. It's just been, uh, they were absolutely amazing, amazing days. Uh, Some of the best players we ever had, the best moments we ever had. And uh, so I can only look back fondly on those days. I'm sure you echo them same view, Kevin, that some of them did with Jack Charlton were some of the best in your life. Yeah, I was very fortunate uh, at that period. Uh, I played. I was playing for Everton's most successful team ever, and at the same time playing in uh, Ireland's most successful team. So I feel really privileged to, to have been involved in, in both those, those areas. Uh, fantastic memories. Uh, one of my lasting memories coming back from, uh, from Italy, uh, the, the homecoming on the open top bus, uh, going down on Connell Street and getting to the bottom of it and looking back. And someone estimated there must have been about 250,000 people there. Uh, it, it was just, you know, there wasn't phones in those days where you could take pictures, of, you know, uh, just just a, a memory that I'll, I'll always live with. Um, you know, we get so well looked after when we go, you know, when we go over to Ireland and all that, and people have got fond memories of those those fantastic times, you know. And it, you have to say, it was all, you know, galvanised by Jack. Uh, he had the respect of the players. The players, you know, liked working with him, got on with him really well. And we had a, a fantastic camaraderie, which is what you need when you're away for long periods of time. Um, so, yes, you know, it was a, a really magical, magical time for, for Irish football. Just one last question, Kevin, for a young lad like myself when you did not highlights from these games on YouTube. 
You more than any player seem to have most shots cleared off the line. I particularly remember Scotland and Lansdowne in the age of six and that Malta game in the age of nine when qualified for the World Cup. Do you ever look back and think, God, I should have had a couple more goals in my career only for a couple of central defenders? Well, I wish I had a few more goals and another four caps. So I got to 46. I never made the, the magical 50. I remember there was a few I did get got clear after. I remember Scotland at Lansdowne Road. I hit a shot that I thought was in and Anil Hansen appeared from nowhere on the line. Uh, to block it off, but I'd, I'd much prefer uh, my goals. Um, obviously, the England one, the penalty, and a few few other goals. So, um, so yeah, no, I, I look back with uh, real pride and pleasure about my uh, my international career. Kevin, can I just ask you, um, not in the Irish sense at all, you were part of probably Everton's most successful team ever, two fantastic title wins. You won a European trophy as well. You scored in the final in '85. You were denied a place in the European Cup because of Heysel. I firmly believe that Everton team would have gone on and won a couple of European Cups. What are your own thoughts on it? Yes, definitely. I mean, um, it was a tragedy and it was uh, probably Everton suffered more than most because the team we had at the time, uh, we'd have been strong favourites to, to win the European Cup. Uh, we'd won the, the Cup Winners' Cup. We'd beaten Bayern Munich in the semi-final uh, home and away. Uh, we drew with them, sorry, beat them at home. Uh, and they were one of Europe's top teams. They went on to win the Bundesliga that year. Um, so certainly going into the, the European Cup, we would have been, as I say, strong favourites and uh, we would have been tough to beat over over two two legs. Uh, it never, you know, never materialised. And you look back at Everton's history and the team started to break up not long after that and it broke up far too soon. So we never really fulfilled our potential. Um, so it was a real, um, you know, disappointing, you know, period. Uh, I stayed on at Everton. I loved playing for Everton. Uh, but certainly uh, the magic of those, 85 particularly, was um, was something the supporters of that era, uh, like yourself with the Irish era, will we'll never forget. You're probably just upset, Paul, in the background there, Gary, by reminding me everything you want to go uh, what could have been only for high school is, true, is very much true indeed, though, Gary. Uh, that's where we're going to leave it for today, looking back on Jack Charlton's time, the most successful manager this country has ever had in terms of football. I'd like to very much thank Kevin Sheedy for his time in Irish football fans TV today. It's very much appreciated looking back on some fond memories. I hope you're keeping well in these changing times, Kevin. Thank you. My pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, lads. Thanks, Kevin. Just make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already. You'll follow us as well on Twitter at iFanTV and you'll find us on Facebook and Instagram as well. So make sure, as I said, to follow us and subscribe if you haven't already. Thanks for watching and I hope you keep watching more.